Welcome to the Summit Series podcast by Elevation Capital, where we will be speaking to some of India's top business minds on their journeys and the learnings along the way. Our guest today is Siddharth Jain, co-founder and CEO of Play Simple Games. Thank you, Siddharth, for joining us today. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Mayank, for having me here. I'm super excited as well, and I'm privileged as well uh, for being part of this series. We recently had a very big day in our journey as we partnered with MTG for our next stage of growth. And of course, all the new things that we're going to be doing as we move forward. So looking forward for the next few minutes as we talk about it. Yeah, hopefully it's going to be an exciting next 40 minutes to an hour. Uh, before we begin, uh, let me share a little bit of background on the company with all of you. Siddharth, uh, or Sid as we all know him, and his co-founders Siddhant, Preeti and Suraj set out to build Play Simple as a gaming studio about seven years back, post their stints at Zynga. Today, Play Simple has established itself as the global leader in the free-to-play mobile world games market and is one of the fastest growing and most exciting gaming companies to emerge out of India. The company's portfolio of games include successful titles such as daily-themed crossword, word trip, word jam, and word wars with cumulatively over 75 million plus installs and 2 million daily active users. While the company has been built relatively under the hood, PlaySimple received a lot of attention recently when it was acquired by Swedish gaming major MTG for $360 million in cash and stock plus other performance link payouts, making it one of the largest exits in the gaming space in India. Elevation partnered with PlaySimple in November 2016 when we invested $3.2 million as part of a $4 million Series A round in the company. Unlike most companies in our portfolio, PlaySimple did not raise subsequent capital till this acquisition. In fact, they have been growing rapidly and have been profitable for a large part of the last three years. Just like this fact, the journey with PlaySimple has been one of the many firsts for me and quite contrary to the way venture-funded businesses are usually imagined and built in India. Through this chat with Sid, my attempt would be to uncover some of those nuances, highlight the unique choices and decisions that the team at PlaySimple made in their journey, the pressures and fears they had while making those decisions, so that early-stage founders can learn to be more bold while doing things the right way in their journey. So said to kick it off, uh, let's start from the very beginning. Maybe from the time all of you were at Zynga and the idea of Play Simple hadn't even come about. Talk us a little bit through what was your role at Zynga, how large was Zynga back then, what kind of games were you working on when you were there, and then how did you think about setting out on your own journey? So first of all, I really love that company. I enjoyed my work there a lot. Uh, we were uh, running very large games there, a fighting action RPG game called Mafia War. The other one uh, is a bubble shooter game meant for casual audience uh, called Bubble Safari. Across the team, the four of us, and mostly three, because I think Preeti and Suraj were at Zynga and Siddhant was at Walmart, we ran uh, a few other games. That's where we picked up gaming. We started liking and loving gaming. We felt that, hey, this is something that can be done. It's a really nice industry where you have uh, people coming from different facets. You have enough creative folks coming in. You have enough analytical minds coming in. You have mathematicians, business folks, and just generally gamers who are excited about whatever we are working, whatever we're building. You have consumers 
within your teams. That's what really got us excited. So we were always excited about building things. There were many ideas that we toyed uh, around with. We initially thought of building a dating app. Uh, like any other young single founding team that <laughs> starts. So we started thinking about dating. We thought about building a real estate portal. One of the ideas that we really pursued for a long time, this was something that we were pursuing while at Zynga as a side project was to build a jewelry e-commerce platform. After some time in the market, we realized that, hey, this is going to be really hard. Yeah, and then we got back to Zynga, wanted to build games there, realized that it's going to be very hard and after battle to build games out of India and then ventured out to start Play Simple. That's how I remember it. I'll be all glad that you chose to double down on gaming itself. Uh, those were sort of like key decisions. So as you were thinking about the vision for Play Simple, how was it similar or different to Zynga's vision? Were there similarities in the way of working at Zynga that you really liked and wanted to imbibe into Play Simple? And were there some things that you wanted to do very differently? So all that I would say is that, first of all, I'm very humbled to be compared to Zynga. Back then, uh, when we were very small, it was a David versus Goliath. Play Simple, we were out. The vision was to build a predictable business in this otherwise unpredictable industry using data and analytics where most of the teams and most of the people otherwise felt and understood gaming to be a hate-driven business. Zynga, on the other hand, they were already large. They're one of the largest gaming companies out there. Their vision was to, to connect the world through games. So the visions uh, were completely, I think, in different horizons. In terms of similarity in the way we approached, uh, I would say we learned a lot about analytics, a lot about product management a lot about building games. It was more in the tactical side of things where things were similar. That's, I think, yeah, mostly on those lines. So I, I recall that uh, most of the work that you were doing at Zynga was around increasing monetization and working on games that were already mature, right? So I'm assuming this, when you were starting out, you were fairly confident that you will crack the LTV to CAC problem for these games, right? And just scale them uh, really, really well, which you did. But as someone who's running a gaming studio, you have to look at like the full life cycle, actually the birth, which is the zero to one journey uh, for those games. Did that seem daunting to you? How did you build confidence that you will be able to do it? So <laughs> in the in the hindsight, the time at Zynga, I mean, most of the time we were only focused on one metric was to increase monetization, not as much on LTV to CAC. That focus gave us confidence that, hey, if we will go out and do something, if we've been able to increase monetization here, we'll be able to figure out the other problems as well. Now, it was, of course, harder to deal with multiple, multiple different metrics. On one side, you're responsible for increasing monetization, and that's about it. On the other side, you're responsible for increasing monetization, reducing cost, and increasing the life of the player with you. So they are competing metrics. If you move one thing up, the other one doesn't necessarily go the other direction. Uh, so there are four founders and all of us um, have very, very complementary skills. And that's where us having each other really helped uh, to a large extent. I have heard many stories about and uh, that hey, zero to one is a really hard and difficult journey. 
and that's the experience that really matters but i think it's glamorized more if you have a good team if you have good partners it's just like any other thing for me like like having suraj siddhant preeti uh and of course you and kartik was really really helpful as sounding boards as well as folks who would come and say okay hey this is wrong or i could say hey this is wrong this is how we should be doing it yeah so i think that that made it really easy for us sure cool and i think you earlier alluded to the fact that gaming is known as a hits driven business and you need to bring that sort of like really killer idea of gaming of a certain game to the market right but if we look at uh, a lot of the games that we brought to the market they are uh, they are better than what exists already but they are not completely new ideas right so how did you like come across this strategy to build this games and how did you personally build that confidence that this is the right strategy to basically go after gaming ideas that already do work but we can do them far far better so so it goes back to when we started we built the first game we put it out there uh, and it, actually even before that one of the things that were clear to us is that raising capital is something that takes time we have to go out in the market people need to believe in your story more than anything else they need to trust to give you capital and we had no experience of it from from before that so we had to build something that we were confident of being able to pull off and that's where i think we we came up with a framework uh, the framework uh, and i am happy to share is is very simple you imitate you iterate you innovate and then you go forward to invent right and and it's uh, all of these four things as verbs have different different horizons and we wanted to make sure that hey if we if we are left without capital we should be able to pull it out ourselves uh, we were fortunate and even after that i think this this framework allows to focus uh, really well we felt that there is a gap there is opportunity we can still use this framework and that's how we looked at the games that are out there we were definitely not the first ones we were late entrants to the market we made better versions of them and uh, players uh, like them awesome awesome can you repeat those four golden words <laughs> well then i mean imitate iterate innovate and then invent excellent that's awesome that's that's the mantra for uh, for gaming then very interesting so given this realization so what were the capabilities that you focused on building in the organization from day one and also i think uh, in gaming one of the things that you one needs to focus on is what not to put any more resources behind because some things will work some things will not how did you decide on that framework on what not to put any resources behind well um now profoundly i can say after spending a lot of time <laughs> but uh, but back then it was uh, we were just like any other team we were uh, many times chasing ideas in every direction and only after making a few mistakes we felt that hey focus is very very important uh and now narrowing down to few things and whatever that is but you put your full force behind uh that is very important uh this came after making three pivots during the journey of our company the other question you had was that hey what were the things that you put a lot of focus behind we put a lot of focus behind building a great analytics backbone for the company 
we wanted the culture to be data driven and we wanted to build driven teams with a lot of autonomy uh, and empowerment which are driven by uh, making an impact so it was analytics the org uh, setup in terms of what kind of people we bring on board and then to focusing on few things excellent excellent so i think on this people uh, dimension let's let's double click a little bit uh, on that and switch gears to the organization uh, right we, i want to talk about how did you go about setting up the company and the culture at place simple we are a fairly large team now uh, 200 plus employees uh, can you give some context on how do you think about the org structure at a gaming studio right because at any point in time multiple games would be at different stages of their life uh that are being built some would be mature some would be at the drawing board stage so how do you build out these cap- uh, these teams to work on different games and are there any some shared services shared capabilities just walk everyone through how you think about org structure at a gaming studio really interesting question and i can go for hours to talk about it because building any organization first of all is very hard whether it's at a gaming company whether it's at any other company whoever has done that in whichever company uh, huge respect for everybody there now uh, for us it's a slightly more interesting challenge because the teams that you deal with at a gaming company are very diverse you have um, a good chunk of left brain people and a good chunk of right brain people where you have a lot of creative folks all the game designers all the art and ux folks and the other side you have a lot more mathematical and analytical folks with analytics product management and engineers and then you have business folks to have this diverse group being able to operate uh, together we felt that the best way would be to have the teams autonomous to a large extent everybody had a, have a say and keeping the the structure largely flat the second question about different stages of games and life cycle one of the other things that we realized at play simple we've got different games at different stages games that are in, in the creation stage games that are in like uh, product market fit and then uh, maturity and then innovation again we felt that team composition has a lot to do with getting these products to the next stage and it is of course documented very well in many books and also practicals by many uh, companies for example in creative stage in the early stage you would have a lot of game designers then subsequently you would you start bringing the analytics folks once the game is is doing well then subsequently you will have project managers as well and also like initially you have a lot more freedom gradually you need to sort of control as the business starts uh, becoming larger and larger now it's 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 always a journey i want to touch about one area on the org side which has been uh, i think uh, especially uh something that people have not solved for in gaming is on hiring of talent how easy or difficult did you find hiring gaming talent uh, over the years and did your hiring framework evolve as we went through this journey uh, and you saw this is working and this is not working so hiring good folks and building good teams is again like building an org is, is equally difficult gaming again uh, the talent pool is limited because there are only few gaming companies and the culture of gaming is still picking up it is relatively easier from back then because 
Placeable was a no-name startup uh, that that people did not know about. Much easier now. Many more gaming companies have come out. The second part of your question on the hiring framework, how has it evolved uh, over a period of time? Again, a uh, lot of learnings on the way. But initially, uh, we, we kept hiring the people we were like. They were smart and were keen to be in gaming. For example, initially, we had, and we still have those people who we hired. We had a radio jockey join us. We had a, a rocket scientist, an aeronautical engineer, a chemical engineer, uh, electronics engineer. And that also brought different ideas <laughs> to the games that we built. And it was fun. At times, we also got pressurized uh, because we had to hire people. And we made some decisions to bring people on board. But after bringing them, we realized hey, it's always best. We have to be 100% sure, even if that requires meeting that person one or two times. You do that. And then, of course, this challenge is going to get even more interesting with pandemic and, and work from home. And how do you set those teams up, which is a completely different beast altogether. Cool. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about things that Play Simple did really well and very differently from everyone else. I think you touched upon a few of them. Uh, in the earlier part of this podcast. Uh, uh, I think the first one that really stood out for me uh, was this focus on analytics. So across all companies that have been part of over the years, I think Play Simple has been always extremely focused on running this business around metrics. Metrics that are measured and tracked very closely and they're very complex. The depth of dashboards that you have is just phenomenal. I remember in every board meeting, you could ask any nth level metric and Sid would pull up a dashboard and show that number to us. I think that to me was a DNA that was running in this company. How did you go about instilling this importance for analytics? And why do you think analytics is so important for a gaming business? So the DNA comes from the founders. When a founding team is two engineers and two product managers, what would you get? <laughs> so, so that 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 was very much in ours as well, and it was one of the things that we knew uh, knew well enough that we could train the people. It it was and still is our bread and butter, and will remain like that. I mean, of course, a significant chunk of credit here uh, in terms of getting influence to build analytics first goes to Zynga because that's where we picked it up. The other one goes to some of the books we read where one thing that really stuck with me is you can manage only what you can measure. So measurement is very, very important. We conduct boot camps where people are uh, first as they join in analytics or product team. They, they pick up on uh, a lot of the analytics jargons that we use. Uh, and that um, has allowed us to keep the culture like that. I think the, the second area which I felt we excelled in a lot was around monetization, which is what you spoke about uh, came again from your time spent at Zynga. I think we were always ahead of the curve in discovering new ad formats, discovering new ad networks, optimizing them to work for us, right? And this was across, I guess, both uh, forms of monetization for us, the ads driven and the in-app purchases. Could you talk a little bit through how you thought about monetization, how you constantly 
were able to find these new areas to grow our, uh, our top line? What was sort of like the input that Sid and the founding team brought in to ensure that we always monetize and we always stay ahead of the market? One interesting trivia here is that at Zynga, we excelled at monetizing on in-app purchases, which were in the web games. Uh, ad monetization is something as a business we build completely at Place and Tools. It was more around the novelty of the things that were available in that space that, that got us excited to experiment and try out the other things and build that out. It was quite contrary to our ethos as a founding team because I think there was a lot of pushback initially uh, that, hey, we, we want to not show a lot of ads to our players uh, because that's not, that's not right if you're playing the game and suddenly you throw an ad in between. I think that constant pushback internally allowed us to do it the right way. At least that's how we feel it, where we did not do a, too much of it. Uh, and uh, we leveraged the real estate space that was available in the games. We tried to leverage uh, the, the gameplay elements to, to integrate as well. The constant experimentation mindset really helped us test out the new formats all the new things available. Most of the time on ad monetization, I was like a kid in a candy shop. Okay, let's try this as well. Let's try this as well. Let's try this as well. And we were lucky to, to be able to have worked with good ad partners who were um, very supportive, who were equally excited about experimenting and working with us based out of India. So a lot of people, when the, uh, when the MNA was announced, asked me, what did they simple do so well. And I said, if there is one superpower that this team has, it is how to make money from games, which is something which is very, very tough for most people to pull off. So this, I think this was the big, big sort of differentiation uh, that all of you guys were able to do sitting here in India and building games for the international market, which actually brings me to the, the third, uh, thing that you did very differently and much better than everyone else, which is to focus on one category, focus on what gaming as a category, go really, really deep over there. And also focus always on international markets, right? There were, there were companies building games for India. There was a lot of, I'm sure, temptation at some point in time to test it out. But I remember those were only mere tests, but the focus always remained what gaming international markets. What was your framework on how to pursue, what to pursue? Again, <laughs> in the hindsight, I can say all the answers here, <laughs> but <laughs> like hindsight is always 2020. Right? So as a startup, you're always uh, short on resources and you have more ideas than the resources that you've got. <laughs> so it's always very distracting. So we learned after um, after making few mistakes that hey we cannot do everything out there. We have to focus on one thing and do that really well. Fortunately for us, we were present in the world gaming category before and realized that it is best to just focus on this, scale it really well. I would like to share um, uh, one thing that happened. Most of the people that we brought on board. We told them that, hey, we know gaming and we can build this great business out of India. And please join us. It'll be a rocket ship. 
and all the nice things that a founder tells as he's selling his idea to a future colleague. Uh, when we raised Series A, we brought a lot of people, and we started investing in multiple other categories and other things. Very soon, we realized after building one game, we would move on to the building another game, and the team we would have left behind to run that game, they would have figured out how to build a game. They would have not figured out how to run it because they had not done it in the past. So we felt that, hey, it is important to do a few things. And people had, over a period of time, they started losing their belief in, in Play Simple. Uh, that, hey, okay, this company is not scaling. And it was very, very important for us that, hey, if we are telling somebody whether it's for future investors, whether it's for employees, whether it's for ourselves, that hey, whatever we are selling to people, whatever Kool-Aid we are selling, uh, is that uh, even something that people like? <laughs> so it was important for us to really prove. So we, we chose a goal. We said, okay, hey, we will not do anything else till the time we get to a certain scale in word gaming. Only when we get there, then we will start investing in other categories. There was, there was, this, there was some bit of disbelief back then. But uh, once we were sure about it, the entire team rallied behind that goal. And uh, right now we are all happy about that decision uh, back in 2018. Yeah, no, those, those were the times when some of those critical decisions were taken. There's a fork in the road, right? And I'm glad we all walked down the right uh, path. Lastly, Sid, I wanted to get your thoughts. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are keen to understand your thoughts on fundraise, capital efficiency, value creation, because again, that's one thing that you've done very, very differently compared to most other startups in India. As I mentioned earlier, the company never raised money after we led the Series A round in 2016 till the MA. This trajectory is highly unusual. And we did have investors who were keen to explore investing in us. Uh, but we were never in need of capital and we kept saying, no, you were very, very clear that we will raise capital only when we really want to, not because just it's coming through the door. How did you think about fundraising and capital utilization and being capital efficient? What was going through your mind when some of these conversations were coming up? Yeah, so I think uh, it was, first of all, very tempting as you keep hearing stories to raise capital. Yeah, because, because you don't know, right? If you're doing it for the first time, you think that that is something that you should do for, for future-proofing uh, the business and the company. That's where I think our advisors really helped to really guide us that, hey, if you don't need capital, don't raise it. That's one. The second thing was also both uh, you and, and Karthik had a very hands-off approach. Uh, once we had decided that, hey, this is something that we want to do, they were very supportive. There was no pressure from either of you either that, hey, you have to go and raise capital. That's all the remaining half of it. And I think the left uh, from all of that was that, hey, business was growing. It was uh, generating cash. So we didn't need cash. Uh, we didn't need capital. And all the support was available between Elevation and Chirate in terms of any help that we needed. I think those were, um, if you were to look at the business, uh, 
over the last three three and a half years it was growing nicely and profitable but the first maybe 18 months of our journey uh, together the business wasn't growing super fast when we were doing all of these experiments right and i remember in those board meetings the question that was always on the table was that should we be spending money on marketing uh, to grow uh, but you were super duper calm and clear and say no i don't want to spend money till i fi- fix my roas till i fix my ltv to cac and once i do that then i will spend now in hindsight like you said 2020 those were the right things to do but not many founders are able to behave this way what was your reasoning what gave you that confidence to do it uh, that i will not spend till i'm comfortable on the unit economics actually my give me hindsight on this one i think i could have handled those situations better <laughs> and uh, that's one the second thing is that hey every business is very different in our business it is it is relatively easy to predict versus in the other businesses in some businesses you need to spend to understand how the market is responding you can augment other services or not but i think in most gaming companies uh, i think it's very binary if you're not able to see the roas uh, in future uh, then it doesn't make sense uh, we just played by that book excellent you knew the business and you knew what will work here no i i think some of those conversations were very enlightening for me as well personally uh, on really going with the founder's confidence and founder's belief that this is the right time to spend and this is when we should not be spending so it was enlightening for me as well lastly sir i think i and all of us will really appreciate if you could share your views on the partnership with mtg how did you approach this process what attracted you uh, towards mtg and maybe the other way around as well what attracted them to play simple and looking forward what should we expect from play simple in the next 4 to 5 years what's what's on on tap for you guys a lot of questions <laughs> but uh, let me try to see if i can answer uh, these ones so um so i think uh, so I, i'll go in the order of events uh, on how the process and everything and then probably how and what to expect in future so we were actively i think until a year ago we were not looking for um, a partner on exit i think covid uh, definitely changed a lot of our views on on how we want to operate and run this business i think honestly the market uh, really shaped it because gaming industry turned out to be a uh, it was a consolidating market and gaming companies uh, were acquisitive so we we had few companies who were interested in pursuing play simple most of the people think that a gaming and and play simple grew really really well during the last year and that made us pursue a transaction like this but i think uh, our growth was uh, in terms of year on year growth was lesser in compared to the previous years uh, because we felt that the productivity and the efficiency came down and we were also slightly conservative because we didn't know it's a very different time than usual to predict so that was uh, that was what led us to sort of pursue this path on partners and partnership with mtg we were fortunate to meet them once during this pandemic very very excited to work along with maria and aunt there very supportive very warm very uh, open 
they have this culture of a family of entrepreneurs where there are multiple gaming companies we felt and we feel and we will be able to reach out to uh to folks that you know games in germany folks that uh arch in london if we are facing a problem and likewise we'll be able to share with like minded founders and teams that have built some portions uh, that we don't have and we can share the pieces that we have to build uh the entire mtg group into a much larger and in future we feel that it is it's still day zero at play simple and it's almost like a restart where we are looking forward to build play simple into half a billion dollar division under mtg over the next few years yeah and we continue to build games uh we might enter into indian market we look at other genres and possibly other categories awesome i'm sure you have you'll have your hands full with building out play simple to that scale uh but just to end it what are you planning to do on the personal side what does it do now uh i spend more time with my family so i have a little one i i i spend uh, more time with him over the last year i have not had the time to actually as uh, because of the transaction i have not had the time to spend with our teams as much so i would be spending a lot of time with our people here so how each one of them as leaders can can build their own respective franchises or studios uh into as large as as play simple has become together each of those franchises can add significant value to uh play simple becoming larger that's where um i would spend more time and probably hanging out with you if you have some time yes i think once this pandemic is a little easier uh our drink is pending uh it's it's quite uh quite surreal that we went through such an intense uh, 12 months but just couldn't meet but we will meet soon thank you once again sir for coming on to the summit series it's been a pleasure and privilege for me and all of us at elevation to be your partner on this amazing amazing journey i personally have learned a lot from this association and we all wish you the very best in the years ahead thank you mayank the privilege has been for all of us at play simple as well i found a really good friend and and mentor in you and look forward for this partnership in future as well thank you thank you everyone